This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. It's episode 282 of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm Jamie Bogner, and I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, again for this episode. And uh, sitting across from me are Sean Bainbridge and Joran von Hinteracker. Did I get it Perfect. Close. Perfect? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I got a little practice uh, trying to pronounce Flemish uh, correctly earlier this year, obviously. And so we're at Halfway Crooks, and uh, uh, one of our beers of the year. And rather than doing this one remotely, I just decided to fly out to Atlanta to talk to you guys in person, partly selfishly, so I could also try to drink some uh, some lager and some Belgian-style <laughs> beers while I'm here, um, which I did get to do a little bit yesterday. Just one. Just one. Maybe after the podcast, we can try a little bit more. Uh, anyway, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, you're uh, the ubiquity of Halfway Crooks lager, 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 lager hat and merchandise. <laughs> has uh, spanned out further, I think, in the craft brewing world than the beer itself, since uh, you know it's much easier to get merchandise out there. Anyway, uh, interesting, uh, your approach to lager brewing is extraordinary, and uh, of course your approach to Belgian beer is rated as one of our best beers of 2022. And so we're going to talk about both of those things here, because you get wonky about both. Um, before we do that, what if you could chill your beer with a more efficient chiller? The answer, G&D Chiller's new micro-channel condensers. G&D's micro-channel condensers are highly efficient in hotter regions, use a fraction of the refrigerant over traditional chillers, which provides less opportunity for leaks, along with lower global warming potential. G&D Chillers engineers are committed to green technology design while developing a more energy-efficient chiller for the brewing industry. Contact G&D Chillers today at gdchillers.com. Also, are you ready to brew like a pro? Pro Brew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brewery to the next level. Check out www.probrew.com for info on patented pro-carb inline carbonation technology, pro-fill, rotary filling and seaming can fillers, the Alchemator inline alcohol separation system, seven to 50 barrel brew houses, and more. ProBrew, a subsidiary of Technoblend, now a Promonk brand, offers the craft beer industry innovative solutions to help you brew like a pro. Go to www.probrew.com for more info. And uh, we use a G&D chiller, and uh, we, we, we love it. It keeps all of our uh, loggers very cold. I keep hearing that. I keep uh, There are a lot of G&D chillers out there in the world, and uh, we appreciate their support and have appreciated their support for years and years and uh, appreciate their support. Again, they're back on board to support us next year and in 2023. So uh, we're big G&D chiller fans. And pretty much everybody I talk to, that's the same thing. We love our G&D <laughs> yeah, chillers. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic <laughs> partnership there. Um, well, let's talk about background. Give, me, give us, a, uh, you, Sean, let's start with your background. Bring background, kind of arc through beer, and uh, what led you here to start Halfway Crooks with your on? Yeah, I, um, I, I was a home brewer here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I started home brewing when I was in uh, college at uh, Georgia Tech, and uh, it was kind of an outlet for me, um, you know, uh, you know, apart from all the studies. Sure. Um, it was rather rigorous there, so it was, a, it was a great, great, great thing to explore kind of outside the, outside the engineering realm. And then I kind of started to realize I really enjoyed, um, you know, the, the control system process of, right. of brewing, and it, and it kind of, that, that part of the, the hobby at the time uh, kind of took me to a lot of different different places. Um, I was, you know, I kind of uh, when Jorn moved here from uh, Belgium, 
I mean, started at three taverns and uh, I would, I would kind of mess around over there a little bit too with uh, like pilots, building a pilot system for them and um, kind of, uh, they also hosted our homebrew club a couple of times, which was really, really nice of them. And uh, yeah, I was, a, I was a part of a, a wonky engineer yeah, turned brewer. Exactly. Yeah. Never I, heard that story <laughs> before. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a, we had a homebrew club here called Final Gravity. Um, yeah. And it start, it was started by uh, Bob Sandich, who um, was a former owner of the Wrecking Bar here in Atlanta and uh Blake Tires was also part of the club he's now Creature Comforts um so yeah there was a lot of a lot of great brewers that came out of that club and it was a it was kind of uh, a technically kind of focused club yeah um and, and of yeah, course Neil Engelman who we yeah, had in the yeah. bar uh, in the podcast last week uh you know worked at Wrecking Bar too yep, was their yep. head brewer so yeah it's a it's a fun tight community yeah. there yeah. yeah 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 it was it was great um but yeah that's kind of how Yorn and I I met we we met at um brick store pub uh basically you know kind of stemming from that beer um, um like the, the beer uh, industry here um uh, kind of met there in the basement uh and, and kind of from there we were roommates you know yeah yeah and you were roommates with blake for a while too, i was actually you? roommates yeah. with blake too yeah the same house it was kind of revolving we had like a basement that was uh it, it was it was probably illegally producing quite uh, a, a lot of beer. Uh, we had like um, yeah. we had barrels down there and, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, yeah, it was that was fun. What's your story, Joran? Um, yeah, so I'm uh, from Belgium. I I grew up there. Went did brewing school there. Graduated in 2008, and um, I part of. Part of brewing school was uh, I did four months in uh, uh, internship at New Belgium in Colorado, um, and uh, really got or fell in love with like American craft beer. Like was very surprised how it all worked and and how how different it was to Belgium or the the approaches at least. Sure. Um, so yeah, went back to Belgium, uh, started working in. Uh, in breweries over there and um basically start i did the opposite and started home brewing with two of my friends from brewing school huh um so home brewing is not as big a thing in europe in general no no yeah um so again like we started home brewing at alex's house uh i think us brewing like big batches like we we designed like big bigger kettles like and started making beer the way we wanted to make beer mm -hmm. you know uh belgian breweries it was more like constantly following same recipes definitely in the bigger breweries right um so that was like an outlet for us that sort of led to starting our own brewery called verzette um and i think in the meantime it was still like itching to move out of the country and sure. still come back to the U.S. And uh, uh, Brian Purcell at Three Taverns at the time wanted to start a, a Belgian-style brewery and uh, reached out to uh, Peter Buchart, uh, which is, he's my uncle. Um, and uh, I think I was on a list of like a couple Belgian brewers. And eventually, long story short, I came over to Atlanta to to help start three taverns. Um, didn't, I took some time to fall in love with Atlanta, but I, I really like it here now. I met Sean, Sean showed me around the city. Um, 
and yeah, so did three taverns, um, and uh, eventually Sean and I started talking about again doing something like different. Like the laws were changing here as well to like uh, figure out how we could like you know. Know, like yeah. yeah the laws at the time were very restrictive so right it was very to, yeah. like production yeah. brewery focused exactly, so you had yeah. to be at a certain scale really in order to, yeah. to even be able to make beer here it wasn't wasn't favorable to taproom style breweries sure. yeah yeah they they made you basically buy a, a tour or uh, or you, you could go on a free tour right, and you would right. have samples uh, and you can sell beer directly to uh to the consumer so yeah uh, that was definitely weird when yeah. you see all that yeah here. so these great american laws to protect the distributor uh you yes. know yeah. middlemen and all of this and then also to protect you know I, it, there's such a i actually was interviewed for a, by a, a writer for the philadelphia inquirer asking about that because they were writing about all the terrible laws so new jersey has now enacted all of these awful laws i heard um, about that which is absurd but you know when you have protectionism around liquor licenses and this idea that only a certain number of liquor you know places serving alcohol would be safe for a community and so you have to restrict those licenses you end up with a whole bunch of weird effects like this that uh, kind of cascade out and ultimately you know negatively impact consumers in their own experience of these things because people want to you know they want to drink where people are making things they want to connect with that um, this is one of the reasons the craft beer is is so powerful as a thing in america because people it's the reason they go to you know they go to farmers markets because mm-hmm. they want to buy from producers you want to find that kind of connection anyway uh, i'm gonna get off my soapbox <laughs> on that you were at the right you were at the right place at the right time and all of a sudden now in georgia things were changing and you could have a different kind of brewery business one that wasn't just focused on putting larger amounts of beer out into distribution. Yeah. And you could, you could also talk to the customer a little, a little more about, about the beer, uh, being able to serve, serve it, you know, to them. I mean, a lot of the, the production breweries had that kind of, um, system, like, especially like three taverns, uh, and, uh, creature comforts, you know, you would, you would go to the bar and their, uh, their, the beer, the beer servers there would, would, would give you a beer and, and right. we'll talk about it, but we would kind of wanted a more like intimate setting and approach to, to selling beer. Um, or to, uh, communicating, you know, what we're making to our to our customers. Yeah, because um, we wanted to make you know experiment a lot mm-hmm. here, and then also like you know part of drinking a beer is also the setting, uh, everything around it. So we definitely put a lot of attention in in, in this area, the bar and the upstairs. So like, yeah. So you guys decided to start this brewery with you know kind of a two well uh, i should say a two-fold focus but you also make ipas on top of belgian beers and lagers you mm. you have beers for everyone who wants to no matter what they want to drink there's probably something here for them that they can find um you know but you've also come up with a quirky style that's uh you know that's fun creative definitely smart and uh, a little bit weird <laughs> um you know talk to me about like you know formulating the idea for halfway crooks yeah so um you know, we, it took us about a year to kind of get around to um, the the branding uh, aspect of. It took a year of like basically yeah. going through what we wanted to, how we wanted to say what what we uh, what how we how we felt and, and how uh, we wanted wanted to wanted to say that. Um, you know, originally we were kind of uh, uh, going to do a lot of mixed fermentation uh, and blending here. Um, that was kind of the original idea. And uh, we, you know, we, we love drinking lager and uh, we love the culture of Europe uh, and, and it's um, 
the kind of idea of you know when you get off work uh, you're you're in a space and you're drinking over you're talking over uh, drinking a beer you know you're, you're right. basically talking to your to your neighbor and uh you're there's a community that surrounds that and you see the same people pretty much every day at the at the pub so uh Jorn and i uh, really wanted to kind of uh to showcase that and, and bring you know that hopefully that kind of culture uh back here to atlanta um and, and it was a lot of based off of um Jorn's kind of local pub um the sporting pigeon or uh, you can you can <laughs> yeah. kind of say sportive sportive yeah um where you know it's basically like jupiter after jupiter there it's like yeah. they're like you know less than yeah, about two I, euros or something and they're I, I 25 think, centiliter yeah i think there's something romantic about drinking the same beer all night and i think that's something like we wanted to like try to recreate here it's like yeah you can just sit at the bar talk to whoever who comes and sits next to you and just have the same beer. Like there's, instead of like, I don't know, seeking out, oh, I got to have this or that. Yeah. But then at the same time, we're also like not, I don't think we are like, oh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're pretty open to everything, but want to sort of give our, our spin to it. It's such an interesting one because within craft beer, you know, the idea of exploration has been, it's such a, psychologically motivating factor for craft beer consumers where the idea of trying new things and adventuring and you know ex experiencing all of the things you know that that is a giant driver it has been for you know 30 years in craft beer that like i want to try them all mm -hmm. you know whether it's beer advocate or rate beer back in the early days or untapped in the more you know last decade you know there's always this like you know completionist ideal that uh, seems to drive a lot like in that but that idea of adventure and exploration of trying lots of things you know has been that major factor and it is a interesting one to now look at craft beer trying to offer an alternative to that you know the other side of that which is finding that thing that you love and just enjoying lots of that but also building the space you know that that's conducive to that and you have built a really gorgeous fun shabby chicish you know <laughs> like belgian cafe meets uh you know industrial reuse kind of uh of uh you know tap room here uh that feels a little different than the normal uh, uh, you know, raw, uh, concrete and, uh, you know, pipe, uh, you know, <laughs> furniture kind of, uh, you know, industrial warehouse aesthetic that seems to drive so much of craft beer. Um, but it's also fun and inviting with the color palette that, uh, uh you know, but at the same time, very serious and your, your, mm -hmm. your service and the, the glassware, everything is, uh, is pitched for that. Anyway, let's talk about brewing some beers because uh, that's what <laughs> we're really here to talk about before we do that supply chain challenges are here to stay for a while. So why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients? Old Orchard has partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your craft concentrate blends. When you order two pails or more of concentrate from Old Orchard, you qualify for freight quotes from various carriers and can stay up to date on the status of your shipment. To get started on a freight quote for craft concentrates today, head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, packaging beer can be a daunting task, but buying cans shouldn't be. American Canning provides packaging supplies at competitive prices in order quantities catered to craft. Think single truckloads and half-height pallets rather than million can minimums for a smooth packaging experience. Also consider their ultra-compact single-operator canning machines. Pricing begins at $25,000 with quick six- to eight-week lead times on most equipment. American Canning exists to help share your craft and cans. Learn more about their ecosystem of solutions at AmericanCanning.com. 
I want to talk about Belgian pale ale, sanguine and whatnot, but we're going to push that off and talk about lager first. Um, you all have a very wonky approach to lager at times, you know, three to five Pilsners all on at the same time with all different approaches. Um, let's talk about that kind of formation, the foundation of that lager program, how you all have decided to approach it and uh, what some of the kind of key pillars are and then how you, you know, start branching out from those things. Yeah, we, we, uh, we have like a lot of uh, different um, German Pils uh, brands. Um, and I think that kind of gives us an outlet to kind of explore uh, the different um, aroma hops and uh, just the different hop variety that, that Germany and, 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 um, and, you know, even Belgium and uh, the Czech Republic have to offer. Um, but the German pills in particular. That's true, because we also did have a recipe in the magazine for Puncha. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, your Belgian-style Pilsner. Yeah, so we, we uh, you know, we we use German, we, well, we, we feel German pills is a great outlet for, uh, yeah, showcasing, like, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, you go to a tap room uh, sometimes and you see, like, seven different IPAs. It's kind of like you come to this tap room and you see seven different German pills, sort of. Um, and a lot of a lot of that time is, is like, each German pills has a specific um, reason for for being there here um, we, we 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 get a lot of hops a lot of different varieties from germany uh, from two different farms uh, well actually three different farms and um and also the cooperative there uh in the hollow tower um and so we um we try to showcase showcase those hops and play with them as much as we can i should also for those that are going to parse our semantics say german style pills because yes. you know obviously of course german style pills yeah, yeah. um i find that people that try to huge too tightly to that i mean you know everyone brews west coast ipa without yes. calling it west coast yes. style because calling it everything style is just a clunky you know linguistic thing and ultimately language is going to find efficiency no matter what in any kind of environment so yes people can be hardcore about that <laughs> we're just it's german style just understand that we're going to shorten that to german, german pills yeah. yeah i mean all of our can say german style yeah. pills yeah. um but yeah that's uh it's 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 kind of like um our, our mo it's kind of a modern take on on those on that pills so it's, it's like an americanized version of that i believe right. um i mean even but the germans uh especially like uh the likes of uh hvg and some of their um their kind of uh research and um and kind of the way they're driving some of their uh, hop 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 profiles or their their reason for having these hop profiles is is, is to showcase these new aromatic varieties too um, especially the ones that can uh, withstand uh, climate change and and uh, they go kind of beyond like the the, the typical land race varieties you see in, in, in Germany. Um, so yeah, we, we 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 like really heavily you know a lot of our pills we we ha we heavily hop in the whirlpool around like mm. uh, one one hundred to to three hundred grams per hect per hectoliter, um, which is is quite quite high. Uh, yeah, compared to some of the more classic uh, recipes you see. What uh, are there? some fundamentals that, that span through those German style Pilsners that, uh, um, in terms of recipe construction and, uh, you know, or, or, and then what are the variables that you tend to hold consistent through, you know, from, uh, from recipe to process? Yeah. So our, our base malt, uh, uh our base malt recipe remains, uh, rather consistent at a hundred percent, uh, pills. Um, yeah. we don't usually, uh, use any, anything else like Munich or anything like that. Um, we, we find that kind of detracts a little bit from the, the hop character that we're, we're looking for. Do you change the pills malt depending on the beer? Yes. So, uh, you know, uh, the Belgian pills, we use uh, Belgian malt. Um, yeah, from we'll use Dingamons, uh, which I think is one of the better maltsters in, in Europe. And then uh, 
we have an American lager. We use uh, Epiphany malt for mm. that. You know, so. we use their modern pills. They they make really they have really good malt uh, at Epiphany, um, and they're based in uh, Durham, uh, North Carolina. Uh, and then for German pills, we use uh, Bayerman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our Czech style is uh, is Bohemian pills. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's that's malted in at um, Ferdinand in uh, the Czech Republic. Mm. But uh, it's it's uh, sourced by uh, Bayerman. Yeah. yeah, they have like a a relationship uh, there. So. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all the malt we use here, um, as far as base malt goes. Sure, and, sure. Yeah, for, for pills. Yeah, but I, I think we must say, like, we are, you know, with prices rising, we are definitely looking at different solutions because it's, uh, yeah, I think we saw prices rise again this week. Um, that, you know, should we source the malt from across? Across the ocean, or should we maybe start looking more local? Um, anyway, it's a discussion we're having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying to figure that out. Have you been exploring more domestic uh, Pilsner malt alternatives? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we've, we've, we've explored um, two different, two or three different craft craft monsters here, um, and we've been happy with, with with some of the results for sure. Yeah, they're, they've been they're they're, they're they're making very very high quality malt. Here, yeah, um, in, in in America. Are there uh, other kind of process uh, uh, similarities then through the, you know, there's, are you like Eric from Cohesion, mm-hmm. who you were just collabing with yesterday, uh, uh, decoction purists? Um, you know, talk to me about, uh, you know, your, your kind of standard, a standard lager brew. Yeah, so uh, we have a very small uh, brewery. Um, I would say it's around, I don't know, 800 to 1,000 square feet. Um, so Yeah, it's equi- tight back there. Yeah, our equipment... Um, it has limitations obviously due to our space so we have uh, like a two vessel um, we actually have a direct fire system um, and uh, single infusion so um, and Eric Eric definitely uses a it uses multiple multiple uh, vessels to do uh, his decoctions um, and our, our malt um, Eric Eric uses a slightly under modified malt that he's worked with uh, troubadour malting to uh, yep. to kind of um, design for his for his needs um, and we use we use uh, like pretty much uh, very modified German German malt. So yeah. um, all of our all of our, uh, our uh, mash mashes are pretty much single infusion. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's much. Yeah, you guys yeah. had to decoct yesterday. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. He's, uh, if he's going to come do a collab with you, yeah, since yeah. that's his line. But uh, <laughs> well, so, no, we we actually did a single infusion uh, yesterday. Oh, yeah. oh man. Well, you know, I guess there's an exception to every rule. Yeah, yeah. So no no step mashing, mm-hmm. no decoction. We we do sparge. Okay. We, we do we do that. Um, yeah, our brew house really doesn't allow it. Um, I think when we you know started looking to buy it, we we were you know we were gonna make a different array of beers sure. or not like yeah. If, I mean maybe you know the next step is a more sophisticated system for sure. Uh, but for now, yeah, it, it works. It's uh, it makes it makes it makes good beer. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I I would hope. Yeah. Are there, so, you know, and I think, you know, of course we've found in talking to folks about lager brewing that there are many ways to make these and that uh, for every hard and fast rule that somebody wants to make, there's somebody else who's figured out a way to make great beer without using that way of doing it. Um, 
you know, when you, as you're brewing on a direct fire system with a single infusion, are there uh, other processes that you employ in order to, to find that kind of, you know, uh, uh, tightness, you know, to the, the body of this beer and, and find that kind of delicate uh, nuance to it? Um, it's a pretty simple brewing technique. I mean, we really pay attention to like the fundamentals, uh, like, you know, mash pH is extremely important. Water chemistry is extremely important to us. Um, the amount of hops we use uh, in order to, uh, to get, you know, some of that, um, some of that like body that you're looking for and like, you right. know, like a 4.8% beer. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really sticking very close to, to some of those, um, those processes that we've put into place to, and, and doing it exactly the same pretty much every time as far as, uh, the, you know, the, the base recipe or the base, sure. uh, baseline of what, what we expect. So, um, does water then change for you in terms of, uh, you know, which beer you are brewing, which, which style of Pilsner you're making? Yeah. So we, we definitely change, uh, each, each beer has its own like kind of water profile for sure. Like, in, uh, in accordance to what we want out of the beer. Yeah. Um, and do you build that idea based on just, you know, what some of those historical styles are and water profiles and places, or, uh, do you tweak some of the elements in order to, to hit specific, uh, flavor and texture notes that you're looking for yeah we I, i've never really you know i don't think we've ever really brewed uh specifically to a place or like an historic uh, right. profile we're, we're always brewing to a to a flavor profile and a, in, in a, in a um, perception profile yeah what are uh you know are there some uh common water tweaks that you make or some uh you know some uh, of those water modifications that you find yourself you know putting a nice fine point on some of your lagers yeah, there's certain, um, you know, like for certain minerals, we hit certain um, targets for sure on every single profile as a baseline. Um, and then, you know, with a, like, for instance, with uh, like the mash, basically, we're, we're, we're shooting for like a 5.4 uh, pH in our mash in order to like kind of, um, it helps a lot with uh, uh, getting rid of uh, DMS um, yeah. in the boil. Um, it helps a lot with uh, kind of the alpha amylase um, and, uh, and also beta amylase. Uh, um, conversion um of our of the malt um so we we really we really stick to that uh and then uh, as far as the boil goes you know we we uh we acidify down to uh below um 5.2 especially later in the boil since we're we're um, adding so much hops uh, so many hops in the whirlpool um in order to kind of uh, smooth out the the bitterness uh so it's not as harsh um so those are those are some typical things that we do uh with for with pretty much every beer or every lager that we make, um, uh, the uh, water like profile we we usually shoot for at least fifty parts per million of calcium, uh, about I think seventeen to twenty parts per million magnesium, um, sulfate and chloride uh, depend uh, on what kind of beer we were uh, right. we're looking at. So we we tweak those uh, kind of based on you know do we want this beer to to taste, uh, you know, do we want to accentuate the bitterness or do we want it to be a little more full bodied? You know, um, it's just basically how we want that, 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 that beer to, to, to be perceived. Yeah. Sure. Sure. No. Yeah. How's the water here in Atlanta and do you have to, it's very soft. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So So you don't have to strip it out to, you just can build it up. No. Yeah. We get, we get, uh, we get a water report about, uh, quarterly. Um, and then we adjust to that, but it's always, it's, uh, Atlanta water is, is, is very soft. We actually, uh, 
there's this thing that came out, I think, a couple of years before we opened, and uh, it was like some article about how Atlanta water uh, causes cancer, you know, or something like that, um, which, you know, uh, this was before all the, you know, the stuff up in uh, Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we always thought it was, uh, we always put that on our cans, like brewed with Atlanta water as like a, as like, like a funny kind of joke, you know, um, but it's also very, very good uh, yeah. water for brewing. Yeah. So we. Yeah, it's, we kinda, we kinda like you that. can build on it. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about hops then. You know, you mentioned uh, at the top that, you know, these, you, you were trying to explore through these Pilsner variations, some of these different, uh, expressions of, of hops that are, you know, European in nature. Um, and, but you also have, uh, your sourcing and you care deeply about finding really good hops from, uh, consistent producers and consistent farms. Um, talk to me about that approach and then how, uh, how you, select those and then how you think about building uh, uh you know different beers out of these hops yeah we we have a really good relationship with uh florian sites uh, at sites farm um and we also source hops. just like all the hipsters do <laughs> oh man yeah sites we, farm there you go and he's in the, he's in a hallertau region and um i always butcher the name of the town um but it's like a, i think it's a wonjok yeah. yeah something Wojnok. like that yeah um and uh yeah we've been there pretty much every year I think that uh three years straight or except for the you, you know 2020 right uh, of course um so we, we try to go there every year and um and um see the farm and and hang out and have a, have a little bit of beer and hang out with the dogs um <laughs> they have really beautiful dogs uh and um we uh we also source it's from like Yakima hop selection it's, it's a beautiful it's the, yeah yeah it, you yeah. know it used to be I like, can't wait to go to Yakima hop selection and now it's like I can't wait to go to German hop selection or now New Zealand hop selection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh yeah, yeah. The but, the FOMO amongst brewers about, about different hop selections yeah. is the best. So. I mean it's 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 just kind of like a really great trip uh, yeah. to uh to go also explore the um you know Germany and, and its in its beer culture. Um we also source from uh a hop farm in Tetning, uh the Vintel family. Um and uh and then there's another one in uh, the El Basal region where we get most of our saws. Um, and then there's also the co-op uh, that we, we source from. So it's, it's a couple different uh, places that we, we go to for hops. And we also um, we, we go on a group buy together with a couple other uh, breweries in order to, to kind of you know help, right. help facilitate that. Um, the shipping logistics is, is quite, can be quite a challenge. Um, sure. So we... Uh, yeah, we do that every year, um, and uh, yeah, we care deeply about uh, the kind of the quality of those hops because you know when we first when we first opened, I think we were we were starting we were seeing a lot of variation with with that, and uh, it's it's uh, it was something that was was uh, kind of always on the, the front of our minds. And um, uh, Stan Hieronymus actually was uh, was here uh, quite a bit early on uh, before he moved to Colorado. Um, he lived in Atlanta. And uh, he he put us in touch with Florian, and and it's been a, a really great relationship ever since. And our, our beer has drastically improved uh, due to those due to those hops. It is an interesting thing because uh, yesterday when I was talking with uh, John Sherry over at Little Cottage, we had a Hellas at the end there, and it's like, you know, the first thing I thought, well, number one, it was very cloudy, um, the and maybe a little too cloudy for me, like maybe Keller Hellas, mm-hmm. call it that, um, but the hop quality was fantastic and it's interesting that you can just taste the quality of of that hop 
I was like, and that was my initial thought. And uh, he's like, yeah, I got, I got those hops from halfway crooks. <laughs> like, of course you did. Of course you did. Uh, you know, and, but it's, it's fascinating to me, of course, the, the, you know, the, the more and more we get into this, the, you absolutely, I mean, it's such a key factor, especially in these beers that, uh, because there's so much less there in them, that that quality of the hop itself becomes such a defining factor in the quality of the beer. How do you evaluate quality in those hops? How, you know, as you all are rubbing and, and smelling, like how do you, how do you start thinking about those and decide this is what I want and this is maybe not what I want? Um, do you work through kind of negative, positive selection? What, you know, or, and some of it, you know, especially with these farms, like it's not quite as here's a whole shitload of brewers cuts, pick your own. Like, I mean, it, it's a little different, uh, you know, uh, in terms of how much they grow and how much you have access to and how much there is to select from. But, but how do you, uh, you know, how do you go through that kind of that process with these hops? Yeah, I think selection in Europe is a little, a little different for us uh, than it would be in like Yakima. So right, in Yakima, right. you know, you, you go out and you have, um, you get to select about like, you know, from like eight different lots of mosaic sure. right? um, or, or citra or, Insert there's lots of farms yeah, you yeah. select from exactly. Idaho, Washington, yeah, Oregon. Yeah. You know, there's fifty thousand acres of hops there, and a lot of those, you know, just the massive differences in those from where they come. And it's a little more, yeah. You know, like if you're, if you're going to one farm in Germany, one farm. Like, it's much narrower. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like this is this is the hop this year. And yeah. yeah, it smells great. You know, or, or what? You know, that's kind of <laughs> right, that's right, kind of right. the extent of the selection uh, yeah. for us. Um, and I think, I mean. Just like figuring out, like we have the the good contacts with with the farmers in Germany, and and we just really rely on them for like giving us really good quality. But then it also, like, we really search them out and to get the, that good quality because we know now that without good quality ingredients, we're not going to make great beer. So like, but then also like when the hops arrive, I think we. We, we smell them again and then also like you know get all the data from the hops and then you use that to adjust our recipes so like i think there's there hasn't been a recipe here that we just copy pasted and brewed again it, it's always like you know a discussion of like what, what can be better what should we do different or like hey this this is going to be a new new crop year of hops like how do we how do we want to adjust like our late additions uh, to yeah, that? And that's been yeah. that's been a journey for us as well. Uh, so yeah, it's in what way? What does that process look like then when the new crop year comes in? And I I, I am fascinated by this, of course. Uh, you know, did the podcast with Eric Toft of Shinram, and uh, you know he goes through a very long phase through process that he, and then as he's phasing brew single batches with all with all of these things in order to really truly understand all of these pieces, um, the wonkiest of the wonky, and you know, absolutely brilliant, of course. Uh, you know, but you're right. Every time these things change, all of these things shift. Every new year, you know, produces new challenges, and then of course, even as those products sit over the course of the year they also undergo small amounts of transformation as they go what how does you know what if you get a new crop year and what does that process look like for you because you do have some of these brands that are somewhat consistent um, where you have an expectation around them not that a consumer is going to be able to yeah. parse out the tiny differences that you all might but uh, you know you also want to make sure that the those are hitting the same way for you all you know, I think it's it's changing quite a bit due to the um, the climate. Um, so, you know, the last couple of years we've seen uh, quite um, 
uh, varying, um, you know, alpha acid content and some of these, some of these hops. So like for one, one, I think Blanc took a five percentage swing one year. Um, wow. So that was pretty big for us. You know, um, it's how do you get the same, uh, you know, aromatic quality from that, from that hop without, you know, over the beer being overly bitter. So right. there's different techniques you have to use to, to, um, to kind of bring, bring this, the, that quality out that you, that you want. Um, so, you know, every year, you know, we, we, t we take the hops in and we're trying to get smarter about this. So there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different oil contents in, in the hops and, uh, HVG has been really great in, in helping uh, us kind of, um, or Johan at HVG specifically, um, has been really great at helping us, um, kind of think about this in a, in a, in a, in a more analytical way. Uh, so you, you need, you need data, right? You need to get the hops like, um, to, uh, now analyzed right and so um we we uh, because up until basically now we, we do most it's mostly a sensory evaluation right so you, you really want everything you every tool in your disposal sure. to kind of uh remain get that consistency that that you're looking for um so what, what we what we do now or what we did before was we you know we would we would look at the alpha acid and then adjust our um um, our, our bittering uh, regime right. based on, uh, based on that at the beginning of the boil, but it's always about, you know, starting at the, at the whirlpool and working your way back. Um, so that way, you know, you get the bitter profile you're looking for, but you also get the aromatic profile you're looking for and the flavor profile, obviously. Um, so that's kind of how we, we kind of, that's how we, we approach that, uh, that, that kind of, uh, issue or, sure. or challenge, sure. I guess. Um, and uh, HVG has been really uh, helping with kind of understanding the science behind behind that, and um, and basically uh, uh, hopping uh, like like loggers or uh, hopping with these like kind of classic uh, hops from from Germany um, and, and new varieties uh, through like oil content basically. Um, so like how many uh, milligrams per or micrograms per liter of of certain hop oils are you kind of like you know shooting for? So. Uh, you, we kind of see that, you know, especially with uh, like American, uh, you know, uh, IPA producers. I, th I think a lot of people really look at, at like hop content, like right. you know, um, you know, like cocumulone ratios and all, all that stuff. So uh, HVG is kind of kind of pushing that same um, uh, idea, I would say, uh, and that's something we're we're trying to get more involved in. Um, as as you know, uh, every we we do a collaboration with HVG, HVG and I think the second year running uh, this year and they, we did one with them in uh, VGF last year because uh, VGF also has some really great uh, analytical um, analytical program. Um, also, uh, Tim Wallens was also in Final Gravity and he's, he's now a hop chemist at, each, uh, at VGF. So it's, it's great to, to have, you know, a friend over there that, yeah. that really uh, knows their stuff and kind of yeah, helps and, us along with some of that research. Yeah. Those collaborations have, have really, like, we've learned a lot from that. Like we used to do um, like mash hopping and like we, we walked away from that after talking to Johan. And first word hopping. Yeah. 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 Why? Yeah. Um, you, so Johan did some research and, and kind of um, showed that if, if you're not like, um, if you're not able to control the oxygen in your mash, um, some of those oxidative substances, if you do a first word hop, will uh, carry through and make your product less stable. Hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, basically like, if you cannot control like the, the you know, like if you're, you're not Sierra Nevada and you can purge your, your mash ton with, you know, whatever <laughs> right. you purge it with. Um, I think it's probably CO2, but uh, 
could be something something more inert you know who knows um right, so right. uh you, you you know you you can't really you sh- you probably shouldn't first worth hop if you care about you know oxidation okay um because because there's this like and those do carry through all the way into finished beer yeah and may okay yeah. so they uh they, he has a paper on it it's pretty it's pretty good mm. um i i, I kind of every you know when someone brings up first word hopping, I'll, I'll usually send that over and it's, it's a pretty compelling, uh, yeah. argument. Um, and, uh, I want to, I need to put that podcast together yeah. with him and then with, uh, the Omega folks, yeah. uh, to see like who's going to win on that. I guess it's all what you're hoping to get out of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really great. He's doing really great. Or do you want those styles yeah. from that mash hopping or uh, do you want yeah. this lower oxidative yeah. property? I, you know, everything's yeah. a series of choices yeah. in brewing, right? Yeah, I mean mash hopping for I know uh Jane has just done some um some research on mash hopping with you know yeah. IPAs in, in particular. Yep. And I think that there's actually some evidence of mash hopping with American IPAs that the hops absorb like uh some of the heavier metals right, and right. that, that kind of helps prevent oxidation uh down the line. So there's yep. there's two different thoughts on exactly. you know mash hopping and first word hopping. Um right. so I think uh, we talked about that on the podcast a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean I think like you know, doing these collaborations with, you know, hop research or sure. hop, you know, co-ops and, and, and farms and, 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 um, people whose sole, you know, purpose on this earth is to f- figure out everything they can about right. hops right. And, and their practical use, um, is, is really great for, for us, obviously, you know, for, mm-hmm. for halfway crooks us and, um, and, and other breweries because Johan does that with other breweries too. And it's, it's really a cool thing. I think that they're going around and trying to, uh, sure you know, trying to, trying to spread. I want to talk about, uh, you know, this kind of split in this focus on whirlpool hopping, obviously, you know, it's, that's more of a, it's a bigger thing in America, you know, in a lot of ways than, uh, than it is, you know, in you know, strictly traditional European loggers. Um, before we do that, ABS commercial is a full service brewery outfitter, proud to offer brew houses, tanks, and small parts to brewers across the country. They stock equipment ranging from three barrels to 90 barrels and offer custom designed equipment up to 900 barrels. Contact one of their brewery consultants today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your brewery project. ABS commercial, we are brewers. Also, you have a small brewery but have plans to grow it. You want a canning line but not sure if you should wait until you are bigger or start now. Several years ago, Twin Monkeys debuted the world's first production-level nano canner to help small breweries get into canning. Now, Twin Monkeys has created the Eagle, an expandable nano canner that can grow as your business grows. Find out more at www.twinmonkeys.net. Financing options are available. So let's talk about how you split up that hopping through the hot side, um, you know, and then and push more into the uh, the whirlpool for aroma. And when we're talking about this. When we say whirlpool hopping, you think IPA and giant aromas. That's not your goal. Is not to just build gigantic aroma. It is to build aroma, but in a nice, subtle way that supports the overall you know feel of this lager. But also at the same time, you know, you're making beers for an American audience that are definitely conditioned and and they come at it from a context of IPA, where they you know. Uh, so the scale of this is different. The goal is not exactly the same. But do you you are also trying to capture some of that hop character and push some of that forward. Yeah, I think um, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I'm not not sure I can add Fair much enough. to that. How um, do you how do you split things up then through the through that hop side in order to also still build that that you know the kind of supportive flavor that you know people want that it's not just about uh you know some of the 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 alpha acid piece there is some of that kind of grassy herbal floral character from these hops that are so nice to get that the the boil definitely 
helps uh, you know pull out in uh, in delicate ways yeah you, you cannot you know like that that comes down to the oil content as well especially and also you know when in the boil you're gonna you're gonna add those hops um you know i think um you know like 40 minutes out is usually a good a good time the 40 30 minutes out uh especially with like hops that have a little bit more of that like um that kind of floral floral note like you know like a Hersbrucker or or um perlay or um like a middle fruit uh you know, we, we use those quite a bit in the in the um, in the um, kind of you know thirty minute range. Uh, we also use we we kind of we kind of go uh, full like Narcissus on, on on our bittering. We we usually uh, and I think he kind of like later on in his life he he actually just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, he 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 was kind of uh, against this, but you know early on he was he was really pushing uh, use perlay for bittering. And then I think uh, we were talking to uh, George Seitz actually. Who um, went to uh, Weinstefan for uh, for brewing? He's he's uh, Florian's uh, brother. Um, he was talking about how he saw a talk with, with Narciss, and he was he was very, he was kind of upset that everybody was using Perlay for bittering. <laughs> but you know he was anyway. So we kind of we kind of do that. Um, uh, we always basically use Perlay for bittering. Um, it's just a great it's a great hop for that. Uh, it's 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 around like seven to to nine percent alpha. It's got some it's got great oral content. We've used it for aroma. We've used it for flavor. It's a, it's a very versatile hop. Um, and sites sites grows that hop. Um, so, um, you know, we, we'll start there. Uh, we, we, we typically use like, um, in the whirlpool, we'll use pretty much every hop that we have. Uh, we have like, you know, and that, that's what kind of changes our, 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 the idea, you know, our, our German, our, our German style pills, our different brands is, is kind of like, which, which hop do we want to showcase aroma wise and flavor wise? Um, bittering is kind of set for us. Um, and I, I think, yeah, just the fact that we've, we've made so many different varieties of, of, of the, the German Pilsners or lagers is that we just like kept trying and kept trying and like, what if we try this? And, and some beers have been, you know, uh, sometimes too much or too bitter or, or, and yeah, we just, we're lucky or I, I guess we just keep trying it out and that, and then we have new beer styles. Like an iterative evolutionary yes. process yes. that you've been going through for the last number of years. Yeah. yeah. And the things that really work are the ones that then stick around mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, you make some explorations in other kinds of areas, but then, you know, you find those things that become your consistent go-tos just yeah. through that process. Or will become another brand because, or we noticed things that we did different and then it's like, oh, let, let's make that a different beer and like, yeah. let's focus on that. Yeah. We had like yeah. four, four or five, like kind of consistent brands that we would rotate through when we, in our first year, year or two, I guess. And, um, we, we, we definitely changed those beers a lot. We tinkered with them quite a bit um, over over that time period. Now they're pretty set, um, but but the the results of a lot of that it's are now other brands. Um, and because we because we really loved all aspects of this, it was just like you know we like that part of this beer, and, and actually we want that beer to be very focused on that. Or, yeah. And then so, but we also like this other part. So now we want another brand to be focused just on that. So um, yeah, like for for example, we had like. Uh, we have like a beer that we, we love sites Herzbrucker. So we, we brew a beer that is very forward on that. We love Saphir. So we brew a beer that's very, very Saphir forward. Um, so, and those are two very, very widely different hops mm-hmm. and they're to even like different to add to that, like active low was like from the beginning, we, we brewed that with autumn. Yeah. And that was, a American hop. it was an American hop. Yeah. 
it was actually one of my favorite beers. Uh, and now it's all German, it's Saphir. And, and yeah, it's, it's even better, I think. But yeah, so that's the evolution that we went through uh, just by like, you know, I think we really want to care about the ingredients. That's why we went into Germany or, or Belgium and sourced them ourselves. And, uh, yeah, Adam was like pre-sites, right? Yeah. Or, or pre-sourcing yeah, yeah, from yeah, Germany, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's an, it's an evolution. Yeah. And then I, I think like also like uh, I want to add to that is that once we get the ingredients in, we really want to take care of them as well. Like all our hops are, are constantly frozen. Like we, we actually went that far to buy like a, a reefer container, shipping mm. container that is, is just keeping Hops everything worked. frozen. Um, we had like a, about 10 chest freezers before that and they started <laughs> to get a little bit, uh, tight back there yeah, in yeah. the, in the, in the thousand square foot. Yeah. But yeah. And then, and then also like, you know, def- like the story with, and you find that storing at that frozen temperature, oh, yeah, you know, a zero yeah, degree yeah, Fahrenheit yeah. type of temperature. Oh, it's like negative, negative 10. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, if we open a bag, we'll we'll vacuum seal it after again. Like, mm. like we have a yeah vacuum sealer in the back. That so, like, you know, just really trying to take care of everything. Uh, yeah. Minimizing. We know we don't have the the high end system uh, or this or that, but just like taking care of our ingredients, it, I think is really important. Yeah. So same goes for yeast and. Sure. Sure. We haven't talked about fermentation yet, so let's talk about cold side. Uh, you know, for the lagers that you brew, what is what's that process look like? You've got, I, you know, I see some horizontal tanks sitting back here behind the bar, but it looks like most of the fermentation happens in cylindriconicals back in the the very very small tight brew house there. Um, what, what does that lager fermentation look like for you? Um, the lager, the lager fermentations, uh, they they t- they. They're pretty consistent uh, across our, our uh, German style fills uh, and our our, um, our Hellas. Um, pretty much all of our uh, like lagers have have sort of the same fermentation uh, profile and and um, cell cellaring um, lagering. Um, so uh, what we what we tend to do is we we'll uh, ferment around uh, nine degrees Celsius. Um, We'll probably knock out around seven degrees Celsius and let it free rise up to nine, and then um, we uh, we we kind of hold that for. I think that that lasts about a week or two, um, depending on the percentage of attenuation. And once it gets around like sixty or seventy percent attenuation, we uh, start to step step it down like one degree Celsius a day. So we don't do a diacetyl rest. Um, uh, and then uh, at the at no, why not? Um, well, we just don't need to. Yeah. With this, with this kind of regime. Yeah. Um, we also, you know, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't mind, you know, we use like all the tools at our disposal. So we'll, we'll also use like ALDC to kind of help, right. uh, make sure we keep our fermentation timeline. Cause it's a pretty small, um, operation and we really need to keep, keep on our schedules. Um, yeah, I think we're about 10 days now yeah. before mm-hmm. it goes to the logger tank. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, everybody's using the LDC these days uh, on mean, their West coast IPAs yeah. and on their loggers. I mean, yeah. it's like an, it's an enzyme and it's, sure. it's, uh, sure. it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, I think it's a fine product to use. I think a lot of people have some reserve reservations about it, which is understandable, but, um, you know, I think it's a great, great tool to have in your disposal. Um, so that also allows us to, to keep the beer really cold the whole time. So mm. we basically, you know, we decrease it by one degree C a day um, until it gets to about three degrees Celsius. We also cap at this uh, around 60, 70% attenuation in order to um, 
to kind of help uh, reserve, you know, keep some some, uh, some natural carbonation. Yeah, all of our beers we strive to have it, have it naturally yeah. naturally carved. Um, so at that point we uh, that just for the quality of that carbonation uh, obviously it's there's definitely cost savings especially where co2 is going uh, these days yeah i think all around it's a good practice yeah, yeah for yeah. for all of those all of those things um you know i, I want to see more research into co2 quality because I, I there is definitely of course something there yeah 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 um and yeah the manufacturing of it um i'm not i'm not i'm not super sure, sure. super knowledgeable about exactly how um they're doing it these days, but uh, I think we all have seen the nice tight yeah. bubbles that yeah, comes yeah, from natural yeah. carbonation and spending and whatnot. Yeah, and, and I mean, we actually now that I think about it, we we also we used to do krausening. We haven't done it in a little bit, I think, because the amount of work and and like just like the busyness of it all. But yeah, talking about carbonation when 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 we krausen, the beer is just is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the smaller smaller bubbles uh, yeah that is that is perfection right <laughs> yeah right. i feel like it's a brighter beer too I, there's just something that it's it's completely different um and there's certain certain beers that we always poison um but it, it gets it gets really tough uh, sometimes to keep that to, to have that schedule line up because we try to we try to get the uh we, well, we try to croison with like a four-day uh old old beer that's a high croison for us uh three to four days um and it gets the timings can be tough right um, let's try and work that in again yeah i mean i i you know from what i've read about uh Ram, uh I, you know they're they're brewing hellas pretty much all the time and, and yeah. that's kind of what they use to croison um I, you know i wish one day that uh people would just drink uh you know a million barrels of metric a year so we can just croison <laughs> all the time um sure but, uh, basically, you know, at, at that point though, we, we send it over to the lager tank, um, and then keep it at three degrees Celsius for about three weeks. Um, we tend to tend to lager from four weeks or we, we've done four to six weeks. Um, some beers would do six weeks some beers would do four weeks. Um, we, uh, we also, we drop it uh, by one degree Celsius a day after that, um, third week, uh, down to zero degrees, um, for, um, colloidal stability. Um, and then. And then we uh, we package. Uh, we go to a tertiary tank actually and package. So uh, it helps get the beer a little more bright. Um, and our DOs have been extremely good uh, with those three transfers. So yeah, um, yeah, we have a, a pretty complex purging regimen. I guess it took mm-hmm. a while to get to yeah. that point. But um, what's yeah. complex about it? <clears throat> it's just it's just a lot. <laughs> just a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're saving CO2 on the fermentation and we're blowing a yeah, ton exactly. of CO2 in, <laughs> Back to, in yeah. other places. We're exactly. not really saving anything. Exactly. Yeah. On net. Yeah. 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 We're trying to, you know, on the, on the front end, we try to save a little bit. Yeah. Sure. Um, and then, uh, what yeast do you ferment with? Uh, we use, uh, primarily a 3470, yeah. um, uh, from BSI. Uh, and then we, we have a Bach yeast that we use too. Um, and then we have, uh, that's, that's pretty, we used to have three, three lager yeah. yeast and it was kind of a a lot to to keep up with um we're very very particular on 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 the yeast cell counts i mean every single uh pitch is counted and then mm. um and and pitched by weight um we don't typically go from cone to cone um we we try to cheat, treat our yeast uh very very well so uh when we harvest we 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 yeast, we, we yeast wash or acid wash um mm. and then we uh we also um give it uh like a like a pretty high concentrated ore charge yeah. in order to keep the viability high uh for however long we need to but and we'll feed the yeast as well yeah mm. um 
and then our yeah, like our thirty four seventy will go up to uh six generations and then we'll get a new pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or at that sixth generation we'll start using that in IPAs. Um, so we, we also ferment IP, uh, a, a, like a, a pretty fair amount of our IPAs yeah, now yeah. with uh, 3470. Yeah. Um, that's something that we kind of got uh, ta- got from after talking to Bob at uh, Highland Park, Park yeah. Yeah. yeah, which makes total sense. You it know? does make and, sense. And it's, it's exactly what we want in our IPAs anyway, so why not, why not do it? And so we get up to like 10 to 12 generations of 3470. Um, so that so it's really economical, and it's and it's, it makes total it, sense. Yeah, and you're just farming more 3470 yeah. with your loggers to to feed the IPA program. Exactly. Very yeah, very yeah. smart. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know, we don't have to call it cold IPA. You know, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's no, just it's, yeah, it's just IPA. Yeah. Um, a lot of our IPAs don't have rice, and right. we, we have made um, what you would, I guess, what some would call a cold IPA, um, and it's definitely um, a take on you know Wayfinder's method. Sure, and we find it to be absolutely delicious. Right, right. Um, I like it anyway. <laughs> cool. Um, it sounds like we pretty much covered the lager piece. Uh, you know, I, I'm curious. You know, as you're thinking about different German hops that you're using since those become those differentiators, you know, is the way that you, you know, say articulate from a sensory perspective, what some of the differences are between some of those hops and some of the, you know, what, what would be characters that you're looking for in the reason for selecting some of those specific hops? Because there are more hops in that universe than you do end up using consistently. What has driven some of the selections around the way that you've structured some of those, uh, you know, because of the specific things that those things provide or say some of the, the contrast that those create amongst the various, uh, the various Pilsners. Yeah. We've, we found the hops that we get from, uh, from sourcing through, uh, Florian to be pretty consistent aromatically. Um, you know, the, the bitterness does change, but the, the, the aroma profile, uh, typically for us, uh, stays year to year. Yeah. Quite, quite the same i mean we usually don't have both of them right in front you know they're not sure, it's not apples sure. to apples but um we we you know for, we don't see any any wide changes yeah or like big big changes um so like for for, for instance hersbrucker you know we i really like hersbrucker uh, from sites I, I get like kind of like a fennel quality from that from that hop which i which i actually enjoy um get a little bit of like lime lime zesty kind of mm-hmm. poppiness from it um we tend to use a lot of select here Walter select um, that I find to be very floral. I get this like kind of cracker like kind of thing from it, which I really enjoy. I, I don't really know how to describe that. Um, it's, it's, it's like a, it's, say, I'd say they're all, all very like subtle hops that, uh, how would I say that they don't like stand out, but they like, they make the beer complete. It's not like any aggressive standouts. Like I, like I would say the Blanc. I think I always am impressed with how like nice it smells in a beer. Yeah, they. It's not. It's hard to say. Sorry. Sure, sure. <laughs> but they they make the beer whole. They make you make me complete. Yes. <laughs> you complete me. Uh, um, yeah, right. I'm just I'm just curious about this. Like, um, you know, if you're going to have a slew of different pills on there. There has to be some differentiating factors, but each of them also has to feel compelling and purposeful, you know, and not just 
we're just doing this to do this, you know, there's like, it wouldn't be worth the trouble if, if yeah. there wasn't a reason, like, and, you <laughs> yeah. know, right. They yeah. both have to be differentiated so that when people drink them, they can experience some of that difference and they know what those things are, you know, while at the same time you, you know, that should be, there should be a positive quality to that and not just a difference for the sake of difference. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm just, just curious. And then about- actually another thing that we need to add, to our loggers is we we have this hop back we actually bought it from john at little cottage but we started uh with hvg we started getting fresh packs so uh, whole cone hops Mm. and um basically at the end of the boil instead of uh doing we'll do like a light whirlpool yeah your full whirlpool will just run the wort over a hop back Mm -hmm. full of like i think it's what do we use 10 kilograms in total yeah. Of hops, whole cone that we have like broken up. On a 12 hectoliter batch. And, and, and the hops will sort of like filter the wort. So you'll get mm-hmm. clear wort, but also like the, the aromatics of that is, is, is amazing. Uh, and, and I, that's also something that this year we, or next year, sorry, we'll, we'll do more often. We did like a whole cone, uh, Meriton this year for Oktoberfest and, uh, it was, it was very, very, uh, yeah. it was well received. I, I really, yeah, really yeah. enjoyed it. It didn't last very long. When you say break them up, you know, do you, are you grinding them? Are you chopping them? Yeah, no, sorry. Like, but the fresh pack, they're oh, vacuum packed. Right. So they're so very just, compact. So we need to like just, break them up. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're all you doing that in a low oxygen environment or is it just atmosphere? No. Yeah. Atmosphere. Yeah. It goes straight into the, um, into the hot back from the, mm. from the kettle. Sort of a technique I, I saw at the Hlazentouren in, in Belgium. They, they do that to basically take the protein out of the, the, the wort, yeah. clarify it instead of whirlpooling. And, and yeah, I mean, the beers we, we've made so far are, are amazing. Yeah, we, we've used uh, Amira in that. We've used this new hop from HVG. Uh, we've used Saphir. Um, I think those are the two main ones yeah. we use. I mean, we've, we do it with pretty much all of our Belgian pale ales now um, yeah. with Belgian uh, whole corn hops that we, that we yeah. source. Yeah. Which we haven't even gotten into the, the Belgian hops yet, but uh, we're going to talk about uh, Belgian beers here in a second. Uh, we're going to we're going to let this one run, yeah, uh, and uh, and just keep talking because I mean, hey, you know, we haven't even talked about our beer of the year yeah. sanguine yet. I <laughs> uh, can't let you get away without talking about that. But what you, from a sensory perspective, what does that uh, you know that whole cone hop back uh, you know what does that add to some of these? Because obviously you have a frame of reference, and having not done it that way, uh, you know, what do you think sensorially? That, that adds i think i think it adds that like classic german like floral character it kind of intensifies that but 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 also it it, it gives you that kind of um like especially with the saphir you get this like kind of uh like tangerine kind of very beautiful citrus like subtle all these all these com- all these things that we talk about um it, it almost sounds like we're talking about ipa you know like uh th- these are all very subtle like yeah, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we're, subtle, we're taking yeah. hops back yeah. for lager. Come, yeah. on, come it, it, on, these are all very subtle things fun. that happen, and yeah. yeah, they like what you weren't said. They all kind of uh, they're all parts that complete this like whole kind of picture, right? Um, this beer, no beers and, have a you know a lock on yeah. specific techniques, yeah. but I think that's also you know what you're saying. It's the the beautiful thing about this that. Uh, uh, all of these beers impact the way that other beers and styles are brewed. And, uh, you know, we're using all, as you say, all the tools in the toolbox here. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, whether that's. Uh, Except a coction. 
Except, the, well, <laughs> that's for you, Eric. No, but I, uh, it depends we, on we, how deep your toolbox is. Anyway, you know, but it's fun to watch this happen at a global scale as the techniques, you know, used in one impact another. Uh, you know, East Coast New England IPA impacts West Coast IPA. Hopping techniques change around that. And that you know, East even gets into a dialogue with lager brewing now and the way mm -hmm. that people are looking at that. And uh, you know, and now you see. Even European lager brewers picking back up some of these and trying to like, hey, you know, we can we can do that too. And if there's something there that gives us what we want, then we can go there. You know, there's, you know, we're all just making this up as we go along. But uh, yeah. but trying to use all those things in there. Yeah, I I, I was gonna say you you definitely smell the difference between a whole cone and a yeah a, a pellet uh, beer, and I, I think it's yeah I would call it the earthiness a little bit. Yeah, uh, maybe a little more robust, but. Calling it robust is, is, is too much, even, I think. But, yeah. yeah, I'm a wet hop logger. Gone there with your hop back yet? Uh, no, we have not. Not yet. Um, we just we just don't feel we can get, like, uh, wet I think we live too far away. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, sure. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, let's let's talk about Belgian-style beers. Uh, you know, obviously, it was a funny one because it's, uh, yeah. I think as Joe Stang and I talked about on our uh, on our best in beer edition of the podcast, uh, if we were to have guessed just you know objectively what halfway crooks beer would have ever made it into one of our uh, our beers of the year, it was probably not going to be a Belgian beer. It would probably be a lager beer because that seems like the sen the sensible thing to focus on. And yet, through our best in beer tasting uh, and through that blind tasting that uh, Stan and Joe and and several of us were involved in. Uh, you know, it was that, that sanguine Belgian pale ale, you know, talk to me about the kind of foundation of your program, you know, an approach to brewing Belgian, Belgian style beers. I mean, if you are Belgian, you can brew Belgian beers, right? I mean, you can just, I don't know. How, how do we have, maybe to it's all Belgian beer <laughs> <laughs> or all American That's, beer. Yeah. Yeah. That too. Well, uh, what's uh, you know, what are some of the, the fundamentals of that? Where do you find yourself brewing more often, um, and how do you, you know, because you know, B Belgian beer is such a broad category, as you mentioned, you were looking at mixed culture and, uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing initially, but, uh, it, it seems like the, the program itself has, uh, has kind of gone in a different direction now. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Sanguine was one of the first, the first beer we probably ever released here. I mean, it's, it's something that we, we felt very, uh, we felt a deep passion to, to make. And, um, it's, it's really great to see it getting some recognition because it's a beer that I think we've tinkered with the most out of any other beer here at our brewery. Yeah. I think it's a beer that is, is the furthest away of where we want it to be. Really? All the time. It, it's like a never satisfied. The beer. furthest away. Yeah. So you're the least happy with that. It, exactly. Yeah. What are what are you unhappy about and what are you happy about with it? Um I I think the yeast character can definitely be toned down uh, and the hop character. toned down. Yes. Yeah, I think it's still too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um and the hop character can can go up, but yeah, to go back to like how how we approach our, our Belgian style beers is the same as, as, as our lagers is we want to make drinkable beer. Um, and, and one thing we did is, uh, is again, ingredients. So we use Belgian malt, the Dingemans, but then, um, we also started sourcing Belgian hops, uh, cause we've seen that, you know, some of the, the, the breweries in Belgium that that we that we both admire uh, use use Belgian hops. So we we've, we we uh, 
we started buying from a forest farm in Belgium, uh, which we, we go and select as well. Sure, sure. I mean, th those are small farms, so like they, they don't, there's not much to select sometimes. Um, but it sure is fun to go. Yes, and then it's Especially always fun the, the to see. The pâtés and, are and very good. They t take good care of us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so again, like what Belgian style beer used to be, oh, we use Belgian yeast and that was it. Uh, we really try to get, try and get all the ingredients right. And um, I think since we started using the, the forest farm hops, it definitely like took the next step. Um, and now like, yeah, we're, we're tinkering out around with fermentation temperatures, uh, schedules, uh, yeast. Um, and, 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 you know, that makes it fun and, and exciting, but yeah, sanguine, uh, I like it, but yeah. we, we can do better. Well, let's walk through the brew of, of sanguine. You know, where do you, where do you start, uh, you know, in terms of recipe formulation on that? I mean, there's definitely like examples that we have that we really like. Yeah. Uh, like what? Taras Bulba. Sure. Uh, Supernova. Never heard Fizzle. of that one. Never yeah. heard of that one. Yeah. Supernova is, is absolutely yeah. amazing. Um, that's um, from Brazette, uh and Double X Bitter. The, the, forget the name, but I think that Unc also has a lower alcohol mm -hmm. beer. I think it's their, they call it their pills, Simplex. Mm. Um, so yeah, lower, like five, sub five alcohol, um, very drinkable, very hop forward, but not, but very hop aroma forward, not, mm -hmm. not bitter. Uh, and again, trying to balance everything. So, um, I think the first times we brewed it, the yeast really like stood out and, um, we use T58 and then another yeast, but like trying to make that work with the, with the hops and the malt profile is, is key. So what does the, the mash, you know, and that look like, uh, you know, how, what's the Sing single infusion, single infusion. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I assumed that. <laughs> So usually Dingaman's malt yeah. is it is it a single malt then or uh, no we use uh, we use spelt or sorry we use wheat uh, from Dingaman's and then we use uh, Dingaman's pills um, we played around with that actually a lot we've used Dingaman's pill and pills malt with that and I think we prefer uh, the pills um, for that beer mm -hmm. um, the pill malt's amazing um, but, and then uh, it's a really simple it's, it's pretty much that yeah. simple it's 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 pilsner uh, and and wheat. Um, we use like uh, different, you know, different hops from Forest Farm. Um, we'll use, uh, um, I think we've used everywhere, everything from like Middle Fruit to uh, Belgian Cascade. Uh, they, they grow some Cascade there. That's absolutely phenomenal. Um, they, they grow a lot of different They hops. need a better name for it than Belgian yeah, yeah, Cascade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Look at what it did for New Zealand, like for yeah. New Zealand when they just renamed all of these, yeah. you know, I, yeah, all of a sudden people want to brew with them. Yeah. Yeah. Luke, Luke Lahash is, is, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a good dude. Um, well, and his we'll son is. I have to uh, tell him yeah. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fermentation. I think we ferment lower now. And then we also like do like a, a extended lagering time on the mm. beer too, because it takes some time to clear out. It's like a 10, 10 degrees Celsius kind of hold for yeah. about three to four weeks. Yeah. yeah. And it helps kind of um, 
I think it helps also with the yeast character quite a bit. We're we've been playing with the, the yeast. Uh, we we blend different yeast for this beer. Mm. Um, it's it's very uh, difficult to uh, why why blend yeast. It's basically just to get like the character that we're looking for, right? Yeah. So we know that the, this yeast does this, this yeast does this, and this yeast, this this other yeast does that. Um, so we try to like target certain fermentation profiles um, and like as far as temperature goes uh, with these different yeast and have them uh, work together to create this 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 thing that we're constantly searching for, which we haven't found yet. <laughs> so, so what does the T58 give you that you're looking for from this other yeast that you're being cagey about telling me about? <laughs> <laughs> Am I reading this correctly? Well, no, it's, it's, it's more of like we're not sure it's, it's the right one yet. Oh, fair enough, fair um, enough. You just don't want to send people in yeah, the wrong yeah, direction. Exactly. Oh, fair. Um, okay. And it's like it's been this like kind of experimental thing for us. Like it's, it's, uh, it's like a journey, you know? So sure, it's, sure. It's, it's not really something that um, I think – you know yeah i mean like we've made actually today we'll release our double triple and quad and that's all like the the fermentus b258 east mm-hmm. or six or something like that yeah, yeah. yeah um so yeah it's constantly playing around with the yeast and then the the fermentation and the the lagering schedules after so it's interesting to me that you're trying to find less yeast character out of this. I think, you know, especially among American brewers, the idea of brewing Belgian and Belgian style beers is to amplify that yeast character, you know, to build more characterful beers, um, make them a little bit louder. Uh, you yeah. know, talk to me a little bit about trying to like bring that back down or work within that, that flavor range, but also flavor and aromatic range, but also kind of bring it back down to a, a more, um, calm, balanced, drinkable level. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's what German beers with Belgian beers is, 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 is balance. And uh, I think when the, the Belgian style beers came out here, they were very, like you said, very loud with their yeast character. And, and I think that was, that was wrong. Yeah, you don't see a lot of breweries making Belgian style beer anymore. And I think that's, that loud yeast character is one of the reasons, I think. So that's what we're doing is, is, is trying to just to balance it because it's you, you don't make Belgian beer by saying you use Belgian yeast. Yeah, yeah. And I think the more, you know, when you taste actual Belgian beers in Belgium, there's a refinement to it. And yeah. that, that, that yeast character is there. But yes, yeah. there's, um, it's, yeah, it's maybe a little more controlled and a little more, uh, you know, I don't want to say boxed in, but mm-hmm. uh, if, it's uh, there's a there's a, a style and a class to it more than just this loud exuberance. You know, it's not just shouting. Uh, you know, it's it's got a specific. You know, generally the brewers that are better at it. Uh, you know, they they find a a tone to it and they they kind of hew close to that. Yeah. So for you, what is that perfect Belgian pale ale that uh, that you're still trying to achieve? And I, I mean, it's terrible that we named it a beer of the year when it's not really done yet. <laughs> but uh, there's no pressure to improve it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say more balance, more yeah, balance of, yeah. of the, the yeast hop and hop character mainly. Yeah, well, and some cold conditioning, uh, yeah, you know, for yeah, six weeks in yeah. order to, yeah, yeah. We've seen that it takes it's, it takes a while to have the the yeast settle out. It goes through like a pretty uh, pretty interesting process. I mean, there's like this like mercaptany thing that happens in the middle of all that stuff that I've noticed. Yes, <laughs> that um, is it. That is one. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it gets, it gets, it gets weird. And then you, you kind of, you patiently wait for that to go away and it yeah. turns into this like kind of beautiful thing. I mean, um, yeah, the Sanguine is, is a beautiful beer. I think we, we both in, enjoy it a lot. Um, and, and we, we enjoy the idea about it probably even more. Right. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we're just, we're kind of working as hard as, or we're striving as hard as we can to, to perfect, to perfect that beer. Um, and, and all of our Belgian beers that we're making. So one thing that I think that's really interesting about what's been uh, going on, we, you know, our can design at the beginning of, of when we started was, was pretty simple. It was basically looked like a programmatic card. Right. Um, and our Belgian beers kind of followed that, uh, that, that, that kind of idea. But, um, as we kind of started looking at, you know, you know, Belgian beers don't, you know, unfortunately sell as well as, as, as other beers. Right? Yeah. So, um, anymore. So we kind of looked at that a little bit and we're, we're trying to brand them a little differently now and kind of bring in some of the older, uh, like kind of branding that, uh, Belgian beers, uh, kind of had, um, and, ha- and still do have, uh, and, and some of that kind of, uh, whimsical, uh, that the whimsy that, that mm-hmm. I kind of, that kind of call it, um, that's just, you know, that's just urine, you know, but it's, uh, it's kind of, I'm just but it, it's, it's basically like, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's like a look and feel for a lot of Belgian brands and, yeah. and that's something we want to play homage to as well. Um, so, uh, I, I'm really liking the way that, you know, that, that kind of, that, that line is going as far as the, uh, the look and feel too. Um, and, uh, yeah. And there's a little bit of that that even extends here to the the tap room itself. A little bit of that, uh, you know, that that yeah. pattern tile kind of you know classic Belgian cafe feel, but but certainly within this other new context that you're in now too. Um, if someone out there is brewing their own Belgian style pale ale, uh, you know, what would your biggest takeaways be for them? Really, really control your yeast, yeah, and then and then a lot of hop late hop additions, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I really like how I think I think you can describe like our Belgian beers as is is more bitter than our, our German style pills, mm. honestly. Like I think um yeah, like like you weren't saying not too bitter, but that's there's like a high level of bitterness I think you're kind of des- describing that. Yeah. Um that that does exist in Belgian beer. Mm-hmm. So like especially with like, you know, some of uh, some of uh Duranka stuff, you know, yeah. Terrace Bulba, they that, those are those are quite quite bitter beers when you when you like kind of set them yeah but necessary i think you're right in that sense of balance trying to find a counterpoint in that bitterness to some of the fruitier estuary elements that the the yeast can produce and that that helps keep them you know not not that they're any of them are sweet per se but when you have that fruity yeast ester it does Mm -hmm. create a perception a mental perception of it being maybe a little looser a little sweeter you know and so having that bitterness in the back you know it's yeah it gives it that kind of structure yeah, I mean, but that being said, you know, our, our bittering addition on our Belgian uh, pellets are, are quite quite larger than what our bittering addition would look like on our on our lagers, right? yeah. our German style pills. Um, Even though they're similar ABV yeah. ranges. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, but you know, the Whirlpool yeah. edition is still quite quite heavy. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's pull back a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about brewing for a long time now, and uh, uh, you know, but let's talk about Halfway Crooks. You know, in the in the bigger picture. You know, what, uh, what do you all hope to achieve with this? You know, you're, you're a number of years in now on it and, uh, you guys have made it through a pandemic. Uh, you've been iterating on these beers. You are you know, continuing to push them forward. You're not always happy with where you are right now. And, uh, you know, and the beer is, it's a big focus for that, but what do you, what do you hope to achieve with halfway crooks? And, uh, uh, where would you like to be five years from now? What's, uh, what is, what's this ultimate idea of success for you all? 
Yeah, I think when we started, um, you know, the the whole idea of like halfway crooks is, you know, like, you know, Yorn grew up on a sheep farm. Um, I was an engineer. I mean, we wanted to kind of bring those two things together, uh, which are two really different things, right? Sure. And um, uh, that's kind of like why our branding's really kind of interesting. Is is like it's kind of half computer stuff, half half sheep farm stuff, yeah. and and that's kind of where the name came from too, right? So it's like a, you know, like a shepherd's crook. It's kind of like um, we, you know, when we first started, we were going to do, you know, mixed fermentation and, and very technical lager. So it was like we were halfway controlling something. Um, so it's kind of like uh, that's kind of how we always feel is, is there's really hurting it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's really like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, especially with the pandemic. We think it, it was about six months uh, we were open uh, when that started. It's, it's more of like I, I think what's this this whole business of beer and. And owning a business has taught Jorn and I is to be very like uh, malleable and and go with uh, you know you can't really like put your blinders on and just just march in one direction. I think it it really takes us a, a lot of patience and understanding and especially you know me and Jorn are basically married, right? So it's it we learn like a whole lot from and and our other partner Tim we we learn a whole lot from each other and and, mm-hmm. and figuring out how how we can uh, be a, a better employer a better uh, make better beer, um, and I think I think a lot of a lot of what we work towards is having a very great environment for our, for our staff and employees, and, and and just being a great place to work. And I think that's one of our main focuses um, in in the next you know in the next years to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if if you ask what we want to where we want to be five years from now, I think um, make make a certain amount of beer, not not too much, but enough that we can like support everybody the you know or staff or everybody around us and 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 yeah really take care of, of employees i would say yeah yeah well i think that's a great place to bring this to a close gnd's micro channel condensers are highly efficient in hotter regions and use a fraction of the refrigerant over traditional chillers, just like the GND chiller right here at Halfway Crooks. ProBrew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brewery to the next level. Trust the experts at Old Orchard to handle freight for your ingredients. American Canning provides packaging supplies at competitive prices and order quantities catered to craft. ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery outfitter for brewers across the country. And Twin Monkeys Eagle expandable nano canner grows as your business grows. Of course, if you enjoy this podcast and the others, go to beerbrewing.com. Click on that subscribe button. Let us know this content matters to you. Um, Sean and Yoran, if people want to learn more about Halfway Crooks, where do they find more about you? Where do they find your beer? Where they come experience this uh, in real life? Um, we have a website. It's halfwaycrooks.beer. Um, it's one of the most unique websites in the world of craft breweries. There's a lot of Easter eggs on there that yeah. you, could, you could try to find. Um, and then It uh, is the ner- one of the nerdiest <laughs> uh, websites that I have seen from any brewery anywhere. And then we have a Instagram run by uh, pretty much AI. So um, if you run by AI, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it, it's helped out a lot. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that's great. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add? You just have the AI write your beer descriptions for you. Uh, it, it 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 definitely helps. Yeah, I would say stop by 60 Georgia Avenue in Atlanta. We're 10 minutes from the airport and all major attractions. <laughs> the best experience. Yeah, yeah. I was I when I was coming out from the airport yesterday. Uh, it was right on the way. Strangely enough, like wherever you're going to go, you're going to drive right past here. So uh, 
Yeah. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining me on the podcast. It's been fun talking about lagers and Belgian beers, uh, even if you were very cagey on the Belgian beer piece, too. <laughs> One day we're going to get more out about that and, uh, and go deeper again. Well, but now we have a reason to, to come back once you've, once you've actually figured that beer out and you're, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're truly happy with it. But yeah, thanks for talking with me. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.